0: This show is sponsored by Microsoft Azure. Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Sarah Koshansky and today we are going to be exploring the wonderful world of AI. In episode 234, From Legacy to Cloud, we quite rightly deciphered that AI can't predict the future. But what can it do? The first problem is that we still aren't quite sure what it is. Here's Charlie Wood, our friendly neighborhood physicist.
1: Yeah, this leans the classic question of, oh, I built a chatbot, it must be AI. And then people arguing it's not AI because it's not using these particularly new machine learning methods or anything. I think it's really just a side effect of the fact that the definition of what is now artificial intelligence has changed massively. If you wound it back to the days of Nokia 3210, things like... Text correction in SMS was considered artificial intelligence. It was it was clever to recognise common patterns, common spelling mistakes, and replace them with the correct uh, correct answer. Nowadays, we would not consider that AI because it's not machine vision or machine learning or anything like that. So the current capability of AI really is well, from what I see anyway, is uh, usually around machine learning. That's the ability to recognise existing patterns and then reapply those patterns in any sort of future context. So if you teach teach me as a computer, if you teach me how to recognise birds in a picture, I can feasibly have a stab at recognising birds in other pictures. That seems to be the current capability that I can see.
0: We need some more help defining AI. So we spoke to some really clever people who helped us understand the different types of artificial intelligence out there. that down a bit. One of the most commonly used and simplest forms of AI is if and then statements. That's also called rules-based automation. The rules are written by a human and then implemented by a model. They're basically if statements, like you would use in Excel. So for example, if my bank balance drops to below £10, then my bank has an algorithm that will trigger an automatic text message telling me I might go into my overdraft. But you also heard Charlie describe another form of AI called machine learning. Let's look at that a bit more closely. How does machine learning work? What's its history? And where is it already being used?
2: My name is Scott Seeley. I'm a Principal Solutions Architect with Microsoft. Machine learning, generally speaking, is a set of statistical methods you do to take and reason over a data set. And a lot of the stuff from machine learning comes from science, so from chemists, physicists, and so on trying to make sense of the world, plus statisticians, uh, particularly actuaries, trying to make sense of things. Um, So you're letting the math work out what the rules are to who belongs to which group, which is a bit different than like deep neural networks when you get to artificial intelligence. With machine learning, I can still figure out why the machine got the answer. Given enough time with paper and pencil, I can actually derive those answers on my own. Machine learning typically just allows me to do it faster, depending on your industry, if it's insurance or if it's banking, a lot of times you go over seriatim data, which is all the data.
0: Um, So Scott's just explained how this technology works and some areas where it can be applied. Where else can it be used?
1: In financial services, fraud feels like the biggest area where something that is something where AI can really make a difference. So, in fraud, you're looking at here are some patterns that we recognize historically represent fraud. They're far too complex to codify because they're statistical patterns, they're not a rules based set of patterns. And anything that's inherently statistical leans towards artificial intelligence. And more than that, there's lots and lots of data, far too much for me as a human to crunch at once that's a perfect uh, area for AI to go into when it comes to financial services. Because my head has currently been in the fraud space, there is like a specific example of fraud, which is currently completely impossible to recognize, which I really kind of like AI for. Well, standard fraud recognition algorithms are really quite basic. It's a case of, oh, we've seen previous transactions which humans have labeled as fraud from this vendor. When we see it again, we're going to automatically label it as fraud. Or we're going to say large transactions of more than £50,000 going out to this particular bank account far away uh, is indicative of fraud or transactions coming from this bank account is indicative of fraud because they've got labels on these things. In other words, the bad actors, the fraudulent actors are inside the ecosystem of the data you have. Now, what's way more interesting is trying to find the bad actor when they're not in your data set. In other words, you've got an external bad actor who very cleverly now like imagine we're in a Bitcoin sense here, has multiple bank accounts or multiple Bitcoin wallets, and they're using all of those in order to direct fraudulent funds. Now, I can't see that single bad actor. I can just see multiple accounts or multiple Bitcoin wallets, and I can see lots of small-scale transactions moving in and out of lots of other accounts and, or wallets and moving back to each other. Now, individually, they'll look fine. They're within any bounds, any rules-based system isn't going to find it. But if I group them all together and I look at them holistically, I can suddenly say, hold on a second, there is, a, there is an unknown variable here. There is a single common factor outside here which could explain all of this, and that together looks like fraudulent activity. It's a bit like the equivalent of denial of service versus DDoS. When you're looking at denial of service, you're looking at one bad IP that's flooding, request flooding you and causing you to collapse. In DDoS, you've got loads of IPs which are request flooding you. So you don't know which ones are legitimate customers and which ones are attackers. But ultimately, they're controlled by a single entity who's outside of your data set. You can't see the single person who's controlling this swathe of IP addresses that is where i'd like to see machine learning come in starting to recognize those huge holistic patterns and say i think there is a there's another factor it's like principal component analysis there is a principal component which we've not modeled which is outside of our data set that i think might be the agent responsible for this uh, this fraud
0: so now we know where machine learning is being used in financial services but there are other types of ai based technologies also being used in the industry The first area our experts flagged is computer vision or image recognition. There are some pretty good models that can identify objects right now, and some that can generate captions for an image. Some of these models are advanced enough to answer questions you have about an image. So, who is in this picture? And the model will respond, Elizabeth Taylor. You don't even have to tell it who you're looking for. That said, these systems are not perfect, but there has been a surge in accuracy of them recently. Another area which is being widely explored, but which our experts think is more complex, is language and voice recognition. While models may understand the words if they are said clearly or even typed, it's much harder for them to understand tone and context. So, for example, while chatbots are really hyped right now, they're not yet at a level where they can actually understand what users are saying and respond intelligently. That's in our experts' opinions. But that makes them helpful only in some environments, such as a user support system. Something key we should mention at this point is that whatever area you are using AI in, you have to make a distinction between how good a model is and when it's ready to be deployed. For example, if you're developing a recommendation system for a particular financial product and your accuracy is about 70%, you'll be fine. But if you're in the medical space and you have a 70% accuracy rate in making some sort of high-state decision, then you're going to be in big trouble. So it absolutely depends on what the model is being used for. That doesn't mean it can't be used in sensitive industries, but we do have to be careful. It could be used to assess patients before they see a doctor to determine the likelihood of their case being an emergency. But enough from me, Scott explains it better.
2: So, for example, if I'm using machine learning methods to figure out whether or not a particular machine is breaking, so uh, predictive maintenance, there what I want to do is I want to I make sure that I have a good balance between false positives, so if the machine's breaking, and the machine actually being broken, because I want to balance out how often do I call in a technician to look at things. Likewise, with recommenders and so on, you want to figure out when is the machine doing a good enough job. So if you, we you look at medical science, for example, and you're trying to diagnose an image to say, on this x-ray, what's broken? Uh, what you want to find is that 95% of the time, or some, you'll set some bars. Let's say it's 95% of the time, you want the physician to agree with the machine, and 5% not. Um, and a lot of times with medical things, what you're always going to do is you're always going to have a human validate the diagnosis. The interesting thing there is that the machine, and I talk about artificial intelligence a lot of times with these types of analysis. And in those cases, what we're finding is that the machine can evaluate all the weird stuff. So what's going to happen is a human being is only going to look at the common things and try to eliminate those. The advantage of machine learning is that you've got this model that was trained on everything that we know about. And so we can say, is this something common? Do they have a cold or is it something exotic? You know, they've got a weird disease that pops up only if they've been in the middle of the rainforest. And machine learning can do that kind of breadth. But still, you want to have a person then validate the diagnosis to say, I know you think that it's some exotic disease, but it's just the sniffles.
0: Right now, it's all about expectation setting. The accuracy models are currently hitting are not good enough for them to go it alone, but they are good enough to provide significant help to people working in these fields. Charlie emphasises how we may need to reassess our presumptions around AI.
1: And what the expectations are as well, like the, the good machine learning algorithm, it doesn't mean you suddenly get 100% or 99% accuracy on what a human would do. It means you might be up around 60 80%. If you're doing really, really well at something, you might recognize a patent 80% of the time that you would expect uh, that pattern to exist. That's a bloody good result. But of course, us humans go, wait, you mean one out of every five times it doesn't get it? That's rubbish. Um, and so the expectations don't remotely align with the actual like kind of technical capability.
0: Our experts think that in terms of where we are with AI models today, we're just not at the point where they're reliable enough in high-stakes scenarios to be able to deploy them. They remain a way to augment existing services, a way to provide firms with additional information on understanding their customers, such as recommending which movie you might want to watch next. But that means in terms of financial services, firms still have to be very careful where they are using these models and not rely on them too heavily. Right now, it makes more sense for financial services firms to use these technologies to try and better understand their customers, to improve experiences incrementally, and to work out what people expect from products, as well as how they feel about banks and other financial service providers in general. For example, in retail banking, a typical onboarding journey is long and manual, which is just tedious. An easy way to improve that customer experience is to use machine learning to help with customer identity verification, which many of the new banks, certainly in the UK, are already doing. Scott has some other ideas as to where AI can be used in retail banking.
2: So in retail banking, AI can have immediate benefits in uh, know your customer or anti-money laundering. When you want to look at the person's profile, figure out whether or not they're likely to be a trafficker or look at their behavior as they're starting to use your bank to see whether or not they're laundering money. So where AI would be interesting to apply would be uh, given that a person... so, when the person get, is onboarded, they're going to fill in a basic profile of what they have. You're going to capture information about what the household income is. You're going to figure out you know, where they live. Do they own or rent their their residence? Um, who else is in their family? Are they married? Do they have kids? That kind of information. Based on the demographics, I can then use AI to figure out what products they'd be likely be interested in. If they own a home, when they get onboarded, I may, I may ask them, what's the rate that you're getting? If the rate's... And if I can offer them a better rate, I might want to offer them the ability to refinance their mortgage. So I will use the AI to profile the person and figure out what products they could take advantage of. And I would be doing this not to try to generate more income for the bank necessarily, but to just form a better relationship with the customer. You just joined me. You made a choice to move to me. How else can I help your life?
0: When it comes to more complex use cases, such as so-called robo-advisors or automated investments connected to bank accounts, the experts are more sceptical. They suggest that investment products cannot possibly get enough data from your current account alone to be able to accurately assess how much you can afford to invest. They would also need to know how much savings that person has, what their average spending is, and if someone is an erratic spender, then it becomes nigh and impossible. For automated investment models to be really useful, experts suggest they need to take in much more metadata about the customer, their life, their family, and on an ongoing basis, without the customer having to input it manually. We also shouldn't forget that greater forces are at work here, such as changes in regulation, which financial firms need to seriously consider before they start implementing AI. So if financial firms are going to struggle to implement AI, is there anyone that might succeed? Scott reckons there might be.
2: I believe that the the tech giants can take the AI models. And I I believe the tech giants would be better off cooperating with the banks as opposed to overcoming them. Um, Core banking services are just, they're very hard to get right. Maintaining ledgers is very difficult. What I would imagine would happen more likely is that you see a lot of partnerships between the people who have the good AI and the folks who understand core banking. So, yes, the, the nimble or the tech giants who are just able to use AI will be able to overtake the financial services firms.
0: So tech giants might succeed for a number of reasons. Firstly, talent. They have all the best people in this field, largely because they are perceived, rightly or wrongly, as more fun, creative places to work. Scott's pretty clear why AI experts don't want to work in banking.
2: So the reason why um, the the AI folks don't want to go into banking is because, well, at this moment in time, artificial intelligence and machine learning is a fun, sexy problem. Banking is, it it was like the boring profession that Murray Poppins' employer took over. Mr. Banks was a banker. It's just, it's not the sexy profession. So I don't think it's got the right exposure to to younger folks about what what you can do with uh, knowledge of banking.
0: Secondly, they have much more information about their users. So whereas financial firms typically only have access to financial data, although there's an argument that if they had the technology, they could extract a lot from that, tech giants also have information about your location, the time you spent there, your taste in music, your social media preferences, and much, much more. That volume of data is what could help them build much, much better models. But at the same time, right now consumers distrust both these groups. That could play to the financial firm's favour, because as yet, they haven't been called to account for misusing or leaking data. That means consumers might be more willing to let them access the data they need to develop AI models that could deliver truly customer-centric service. So that means financial firms do have an opportunity to catch up with the tech giants. But how do they really capitalise on this potential positive customer sentiment? Firstly, they need to invest heavily in infrastructure to clean and aggregate data they already have. From that point, they can start hiring expensive data scientists because the last thing you want is someone of that calibre sitting around twiddling their thumbs while they try and access different data silos. That's when they go back to work for the tech giants. Here's Scott on what banks and others need to do to make AI work for them.
2: They do need to make sure that their data is clean. Without clean data, you can't really import it into a model. Um, Clean data doesn't necessarily mean that it's all correct, but that when you don't have a data point, do you have a data point that you can fill in that signals to your algorithms to either ignore this bit or put in a sensible default for the person. The other thing they're going to need to do, which is something that you'll hear folks like uh, I'm the CEO of HSBC talks about, talked about this at Money 2020, where what he was doing with his company was make sure that the that they can integrate with people faster. So the, the big bit here is so have clean data so that you. Can, So integrating with you is easy. And the second thing is make sure that all the attachments into your core banking systems are also easy. Uh, What you want to do is you want to take a look at how long does it take you to onboard a, a partner and keep driving that number down. However fast you can do it today, drive it down. You may have some end goal, like maybe when you can onboard somebody in two days, the negotiations that you have with them are so much longer that faster than two days doesn't matter.
0: Banks need to be open to using data from other sources. Public sources as well as other firms if they want to build models that really help them understand their customers. They also need to focus first on understanding customer behavior and then using what they have learned to build new products or improve existing processes, but to take it one step at a time. And they need someone to lead from the top, someone who really understands data and AI. This episode was hosted and written by me, Sarah Kachansky, produced by Ollie Judge and Petra Barisha and edited by Holly Blacksell and Michael Bailey. Thanks to Scott Seely, Principal Solutions Architect at Microsoft, Charlie Wood, Principal Consultant at Capco, Howard Bush and Paul Mayer at Microsoft, and Ahmed Zaidi, CTO at Catalyst AI. 11FS, the people who brought you this podcast to transform businesses and, frankly, get shit done. To find out what we can do for you, visit 11FS.com or email hello at 11FS.com. If we hooked you with this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast client, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for more exclusive content. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.